0: Hey, yeah, I see you. It's pre-recorded, so we can start whenever we can. Oh, exactly, exactly. How are you generally? Are you okay?
1: Yeah, everything's good, you know? I mean, we're just like everybody else, just waiting for things to... to
0: yeah, soar and get going again. Exactly. Uh, it's tough, it's tough, and, I, uh, you know, it's particularly tough for musicians. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I, I know of a very good tuba player over here. He's retrained as a butcher. He's quite happy. He's butchering. (laughs) I could see
1: myself being a butcher, you know. Well, I don't like the butcher part, but I do like eating steaks and
0: burgers. Well, it would suit a tuba player, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, which is what he is. So, uh, I thought. I wonder how many people, if they retrained, you could pinpoint typical flautist or typical trumpeter. You know, I'd have a tuba player down as a butcher. I think so. They sort of look the part. That, that cleaver in their hands and they're off, you know. Exactly, uh,
1: yeah, butcher a, a, a pub owner or something like that, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a bouncer.
1: Bouncer, that's a good one, yep. That'd
0: work as well. Are there any signs of any work coming back?
1: There were signs of work coming back, but all of a sudden uh, we're going backwards, it seems like. So it seems like everybody's retreating back into their caves.
0: Right. Well, at least is that... Glimmer of hope with the vaccine, which I think is, uh, you know, fantastic. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to preempt your political views, but uh, I know the whole of the UK was more than relieved to see uh, the the end of Donald Trump, which I think will only help the world. Um, okay. But I wouldn't second guess your uh, <laughs> your political <laughs> bends on that. But um, w- were you pleased with the change?
1: You know, I'm hopeful. I'm not yes. sure. Pleased is is the right word because my uh, candidate of choice didn't end up being on the docket, you know.
0: No, I get you. I get you. So it yeah. was.
1: You know, we'll see. I, I'm I'm hopeful. Is is what I am. Yes.
0: You know. Well, all we can do is hope. I mean, uh, you know, the world's in a mess, and um, you've got to. Very divided society at the moment, it would seem in America.
1: Yeah, it's really uh kind of a bummer, you know. But yeah, I mean, I think right now, especially in my household at least, I'm just taking the time with this uh, I'm usually on the road all the time. So, I know you are. Yeah. I yeah, know you are. So it's like being at home as much as I've been at home has been a really yeah. nice kind of a change. You know, I'm with my kids oh, I'm sure. out all day and yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, there will have been some pluses, you know, out of this, I'm sure. And uh, for family life, I'm, I'm sure that's, uh, that's a massive one. I mean, I've, I've been busier than ever, but because I've had to do marketing, which I've never had to do before because all the shows, you know, were cancelled. But all the sports that I play in the evenings has been cancelled uh, and weekends, which has mean I've meant I've had a lot more family time as well. So that's been yeah. lovely done projects with my son who's you know 17 now so it's it's been really good to do stuff together uh, which we wouldn't have had time for so no I get that anyway um, I'm now free and uh, ready to start whenever you want
1: awesome well I mean we kind of started you know this format of a podcast is pretty much about anything you know I just invite on people that I'm curious about that I think have really cool things about them. And I don't know you personally yet. I'm getting to know you, but I really do admire your business and what it is that you do. And I use your wares all the time. Like I said, being on the road as much as I am, my horn case is kind of like the one thing that's always with me. It's kind of like a purse, you know? Yeah, it's, it's your man a, bag. It's my man bag. And it is my man <laughs> bag. I mean, in my horn case, I can tell you, I always have... My iPad Pro, I can carry my laptop in there with my keyboard. I'm one of the arrangers of the Boston Brass 2. So I've got like a a keyboard in there, like a little piano keyboard. I've got my headphones. I've got like all my essentials, uh, my practice mute, my mute. I mean, I can fit everything in there that I need to. And it's yeah. like the coolest looking case ever. Well, like, the,
0: the, yeah. There are two things I love about that case. One is nobody can guess what's in it. Mm. I mean, there, there's no clue. And the second thing is, despite the fact, as you say, it's got all that space. It's got the smallest imaginable footprint because it's actually just under one square foot when you put it on the floor. And that's why it's called the opera case, because the original order was for you know uh, a player who does a lot of opera work. And he couldn't physically take any other French horn case into the pit because the moment you opened the lid, the footprint was enormous. So so that was the the point of the commission. Could I make a case that could fit between close-up chairs and give access to everything? And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that drained more out of me than almost anything I've ever designed. It became a bit of an obsession for almost two months, actually, you know, even at home, I was supposedly watching television. But the giveaway was that my prototypes and dummy models were on the floor below the television. And I was really sort of zoned in onto those and still thinking things through. But, um, yeah, it's just ended up with a beautiful sort of elliptical shape. And uh, as I say, the footprint is, is, is tiny. Um, and often when you're designing things, you're hoping for a few uh, bits of luck as well. And one of the things I was really pleased about is the way that the shape means that when it's on your back, it swerves away from your bottom. Right. So it lies perfectly on your back, and then you got that sort of uh, yeah that curve, and it just makes it so comfortable. So uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun designing that. Yeah, um, it's,
1: a, it's a wonderful case. It's it's if you've never used one before, the Opera case. It's real peculiar how the horn, I mean, I'll tell you the truth. When I first got the case, I was like, how the heck do I put the horn in here? Because until you realize that you that lead pipe underneath and then just kind of like turn the horn, maybe 20 degrees or something like that. And it just fits snug right in there. And it's just genius.
0: The other thing I was determined to achieve was that the horn would be effectively uh, suspended by being held north, south, east, and west in shock-absorbing material. So one of the things my client was desperate to get away from was having it just strapped with a you know some sort of velcro strap over it, pulling it down onto a onto a bed. So the way, as you've described, that the horn drops down into the case a bit like a, an LP into its sleeve, right? And then that rotation uh, puts the lead pipe behind and below, effectively, the block that raises up and suspends the bell. As you drop it in, you're locking in sort of east and, and west, and, and then it locks at the bottom. And then when you close the lid, of course, there's that block that locks around the wrap the from above. So whichever way you lie that case down, it's orientated uh, you know, by being suspended in those four four points. Right. Um, and of course, the key thing is that the carbon shell is strong enough to actually have the crush resistance you need for that to work. So, yeah, that, 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 that all works rather well. And then, of course, you've got that, that space to the side, which means you can have your music or, as you say, your laptop and everything inside the case as well.
1: Yeah, which, nothing flips around and, and hits the horn or anything like that. And also the way that the bell is in there also, it's locked in to its position and you don't have to worry about a strap coming undone or the bell sliding around in the case or anything like that. When that shell is closed, the horn, the bell, everything that's in there is just locked into place. And with the carbon, not only does it like look awesome, but it's so strong that there's no flex anywhere. And it seems I've never tried it. I've never tossed it into water or anything. It seems pretty darn watertight, too. So well, it
0: is because you've got that neoprene seal. Yeah. Um, uh, around it. Um, one of my favourite sort of would-be disaster stories actually involves the same case that you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is it Ed Shewan? Um oh, Wonderful.
1: Alex Schoen?
0: Alex. Alex Schoen. Yes. Yeah. So Alex bought one of these and then the very next year uh, we were at the Los Angeles uh, uh, Horn Show, IHS, and um, he came running up to my booth. I think it was the second day and he was really agitated, sweating, and he um, it, it was, it was obviously just recovering from one of those traumatic moments. And I said, Alex, what's wrong? He said, Howard, Howard, I've just had the most terrible accident with your case. And I thought, oh no, you don't want this to happen, you know, at an IHS show, you know, it's gonna go round that the case is a disaster. He said, no, 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 he said, the most amazing things just happened. He said, I've come in by bus, and the guy's just done an emergency stop right outside you know the hall and he said the problem is i was on the back seat and i was on my phone and my case was sort of between my feet and he said it got catapulted the whole length of the bus bang 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 side to side and he said it just smashed right into the front of the the, the bus by the driver's cabin he said I've, I've ran down and picked it up i've run into the hall and he said, yeah, I'm absolutely terrified. And he said, I have just 30 seconds ago opened it outside the door to your room where your booth is. And at this point, I didn't know the result. And I said, Well, what's happened? Everything's fine. He said, I can't believe it. He said, The case is unmarked. He said, The horn, it's like nothing's happened. And he said, I, I, I just thought everything was going to be smashed to pieces. So that actual case has been involved with a spectacular sort of uh accident and it has actually given me an idea that if i can get round to it i want to do a series of youtube adverts with all our cases where we we stage you know something being catapulted off a building or thrown down the stairs <laughs> it would be quite amusing yeah. um and i think the challenge would be to make it you know look quite exciting too but uh, yes so it it, it has actually you could say being road tested. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: for sure. I mean, like I said, I can't say enough about, about the cases. And I'm I'm an aesthetics guy. I like watches. I like cars. I like nice things. I, the things that I like, I like them to be artful also, you know?
0: Yes, I like I know exactly.
1: Yeah. And there's no case that's more aesthetically pleasing than that one. Yeah, I mean, also your other horn case, the smaller one, uh, is is really cool looking also.
0: But yes, that uh, looks like um, the Batmobile, doesn't it? Or <laughs> Darth Vader's face, that's right. Yeah. Well, the, the funny thing is, I've never made anything unless I've been asked to. And uh, when I was asked to make the French horn case and I came out with the opera one, uh, I said to myself, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to make any more French horn cases because I've seen elsewhere where um, you can make so many cases for the same instrument that... I think people get a bit confused, don't know what they want, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but actually um, I was asked uh, by a fantastic player who plays in the uh, London Symphony Orchestra in London uh, to make uh, one of the opera cases. And she came and collected it and she took it away. And she was, she was absolutely thrilled. It ticked all the boxes she wanted. But three hours later after she got home, she phoned me up and she said, look, i, I bought your case because it does do everything I want. But she said, I'm I am tiny and I, I, I have never carried anything on my back. And she said, the, the op case really needs to be on your back, you know, to, to work properly. If you're walking long distances, she said, would you mind making me um, a, a case that is absolutely as small as humanly possible with the option of putting you know, the music on the outside, for example? <laughs> so we got together and we had another you know, uh, chat about what I needed to achieve. And uh, I literally, I put everything that she wanted, which was the three mutes, the horn, uh, her accessories. I I put everything together with uh, a half inch gap between everything. And a bit like a child plays with Lego. um, (laughs) I I, I, I spent hours just playing around with this until I'd formed a really, again, lovely shape, compact shape, uh, stable shape. And an easy to use shape and then i formalized that and i literally embalmed the whole thing and when we went off to you know create the molds uh, for the carbon work uh, the french horn and the mutes were still inside because <laughs> that that was how we we created it right. and um you know we've literally then opened it up and put everything back in with you know a half inch of thoroughly shock absorbing you know material between everything you know, and fully, uh, you know, adjustable as well. So, again, we only came up with the second model because that was the perfect fit for that customer. And we do now have a third, which I think will be the final one, uh, model, which I, I'll show it to you, actually, this, this is it. It's wooden. Um, it's extremely Beautiful. small and we what we've done effectively is we've made um, a really strong aircraft ply shell which we've used for years on all our cases but we've not put a covering on it because that adds weight so what we've got is a rock solid case that makes a brilliant seat and it, it fits into any of the sort of little bins at uh, airports it takes three mutes it will even take a, a small ipad accessories everything in that case totally adjustable uh, hasn't been a horn yet hasn't fitted and the reason we're doing that one is we are slowly going through a whole range of cases starting with french horn and making a case that will be specifically purchased through shops um Mm. and we've got a lovely network of dealers just established um so uh you know we've got um in america we've got horton horns who've been selling brilliantly with these and we've just extended out to um Ken Pope of oh yeah and then um oh Steve Dillon Dillon's in in New Jersey so those are my three big US dealers and we'll we'll have about 10 or 12 specialist uh French horn shops over the world Paxman's in London doing brilliantly with it and Lolly Font in Paris and the idea is that there will be a Wiseman case with a lifetime guarantee in shops only and there'll be you know the same sort of price as Gawas, Bonners, Bams, that sort of thing, but uh, a genuine hard case. And that's why we started with French Horn, because there don't seem to be any genuinely hard cases on the market anymore. Um, they're all semi-rigid or gig-baggish, and we've achieved a case that is uh, just under six pounds in weight, so it's sort of a bit lighter than those,
1: uh-huh.
0: but it's it's a proper hard case. And we haven't compromised on anything so the suspension that's in your case we've done exactly the same thing in in this so this is going to be called our wooden case and that as i say will be available just in the shop so for people who don't want to spend out on a carbon one this is the one and it is beautiful and it's available in um, mahogany oak uh, pine we've got five different beautiful colors that you can choose
1: Yeah, Um, it's, uh, it's a really, really beautiful case. I saw it at one of the conventions at the Paxman booth. I think, yes, in Midwest last year, once again, not only are you thinking about the way that the horn fits in there and like practicality and everything, but the aesthetic of it is obviously really important to you. And, you know, I mean, to me, if you're going to be carrying something around, all the time then you might as well like the way it looks too <laughs> and well
0: no absolutely no that that's absolutely right I mean the I, I suppose the priorities when you're designing these things are well there's a number of them it's a matter of whether you can make them all work but the main thing is protection from our point of view we, we don't make anything that doesn't protect um, you know to the best of our ability at least you want it to be compact uh, and often you only achieve that if you're you know, able to make a really nice sort of shape to contain everything. Strength is 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 very often enhanced by a shape, you see. And I've known you know since I started, um, you know, when I was 16, that the the strongest shape is basically a tube. And as a bassoonist, that's how it started. You know, I solved a problem. And I, I had my bassoon in this little six-inch you know pipe and With all other instruments, we've tried to get as close to that shape as we can. So even uh, a cello case that we've just made, and we just made a couple of sitar cases for Anushka Shankar, they are actually unlike any cello or um, sitar case you've ever seen. They're effectively an oval, Mm. but they're a tapered oval, so they're like an oval pyramid. So you've got that incredible strength from as close to being round as possible. So shape's important.
1: Yeah. So, so you hit on it a little bit. Well, one of my questions to you was going to be like, how did you get started in this business? I mean, I, obviously you're a musician and uh, you just tipped off that you're a bassoon player. And that's actually yeah. the first time that I saw a Wiseman case uh, was in the symphony. I, I noticed the bassoon players always had these cool yeah. cube looking like, what, is, what case is that? Wiseman, I never heard of that. It, this is a while that's ago. Right.
0: Well, it, 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 it's like so many businesses that starts by accident just by solving a problem that you personally have. Uh, I'm not particularly uh, tall. I, I don't know what I am, five six, five seven, 5'7". Uh, and I was that height when I was you know sort of 15, haven't really... I've stayed the perfect height all this time. Let's put it that way. But when I was at school and uh, I was pretty lousy bassoonist, I I tell you, um, part of my excuse for being a lousy bassoonist was that I I genuinely could not cope with the journey. I had a mile long walk either end of a peak time train commute, uh, 10 miles by train. And, you know, back in the this was in the mid 80s, the the cases were all those massive big sort of. Uh, unimaginative trunks and the handles would rip your hand up. You know, it's like when you go on holiday, you've had a lovely holiday and then you've got to carry your luggage back and your hands sort of ripped up You know, for weeks. It was like that every time I took my bassoon in. And um, I actually became uh, quite interested in playing the bassoon. All of a sudden, when I was about 15, I'd heard a lovely piece of music I wanted to play. So I started practising unheard of, but I did, which unfortunately meant taking the bassoon to school more often uh, because as I got better, I was asked to be in different groups and whatever. I, I, I was almost at the point of giving up though, because I just couldn't, my brother played the flute, you know, and I was so envious. He just shoved it in his bag. So one afternoon, my parents went out for the day and asked me if I'd go. And I said, no, I've, I know what I'm doing this afternoon. I'm making a bassoon case. And I'd, uh, I'd scavenged the materials from different places. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I basically, I held the four joints of the bassoon as close together as I could and just imagined what shape would go around those, and it was the tube, and how could I hold those apart. Uh, And my only formal training really has ever been, or you could say, I suppose, informal, but I'm trying to be a little bit funny. It was an overdose of Lego as a child. I did nothing but Lego for years, it would seem. And that sort of spatial awareness and confidence to put things together meant I, was, I, I had this I could see in my mind exactly what I was going to make and it, it, it didn't take me long you know I had it all made in an afternoon and um I, I was just thrilled it solved my problem so I had this tiny little tube I did the maths at the time I think it was it was uh, it was less than half the volume of the case that I was previously carrying it around in and it was about a third of the surface area. It changed my life. You know, I could take my bassoon in every day, I could practice, it wasn't a pain. And that was it job done, minding my own business. I had no aspirations to ever do it again. But my teacher, and I had just moved uh, from my school bassoon teacher who never really played the bassoon in the lessons. So I didn't know what I was trying to you know, sound like. But I changed to a really good teacher. Um, uh, wonderful chap called Robin O'Neill, who was a young man at the time, he was probably only six or seven years older than me, but he'd, he'd, uh, he was one of the founding members of the Chamber Orchestra of Europe, he was already in the English Chamber Orchestra, and I, I started having lessons with Robin, and when he saw this case, he wanted one, um, and so did his colleague in the English Chamber Orchestra, and having never owned more than £18 pounds in my life, I was suddenly being offered, you know, a couple of hundred pounds to make a bassoon case. Couldn't believe it. Um, and Within a year, I had orders from the Berlin uh, and Vienna Philharmonic. Um, uh, Pittsburgh Symphony came to see me, I think, a year later when they were in London for a prom. Uh, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life because um, they phoned me up and said, uh, we've, we've, we've seen some information about your cases and uh, we're in London. We'd love to come and see you. But what was embarrassing is the whole, uh, I think, bassoon and uh, oboe section from the Pittsburgh Symphony came to see me. But at the time, my workstation was one end of the table tennis table at the in the back room at my parents. <laughs> so they, they all, I was very apologetic, and they all sort of crowded around this table tennis table, which was a complete mess with you know uh, the next uh, bassoon case growing on it, and. Um, they all thought it was very quaint and, and lovely and uh, they all ordered. So I had oboe cases for the first time to make and wow. the bassoon, uh, the section. Uh, and I was about, you know, I think by then I was 16. Um, but by the time I went to do, you know, my music college auditions when I was, I suppose, 17, because I, I became quite decent at the bassoon and went to the Royal Academy of Music, um, I had a sort of recurring nightmare that I'd go into the audition and uh, be ordered out by the 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 panel because by then they all had my cases and i had no idea how long they'd last i thought you know within a year or two they might fall apart and (laughs) i'd walk in and be sent sent away my my tail between my legs but happily that didn't happen and um when i went to the royal academy of music my my bassoon teacher um said well you seem to already have a business but he said, it is crucial that during term time, you put it on on hold. And I, I said, of course I will. Um, and in those days, there were no computers or anything really, uh, no internet, um, I would actually get a, uh, I mean, it's laughable looking back at it, but I had a, a, a solid flow of letters. That's right, handwritten or typed out letters coming through my parents' front door. So I'd get to you know each of the three holidays when I was at Royal Academy, and I'd have typically about 15 bassoon cases to make. It was incredible. I was such a wealthy student. I've never been as, as wealthy because, of course, when you're an adult, you've got big expenses, you know. Right, right. You feel broke all the time, no matter what money's coming in. But um, it, it was it was wonderful. And, of course, I got to meet uh, and become friends with, uh, you know, some of the best players in the world who would visit me if they were in London. I remember, you know, Stefan Schweiger, who wasn't still his principal bassoon of the berlin philharmonic you know he came around to my house um <laughs> picked up his case and he'd come back a year or two later had to go on one or two bassoons. i had and it was it was amazing actually quite amazing and um I, I really don't feel that i've ever had a job i just carried on doing the things i enjoyed doing when i was at school i, I actually do three things really that keep me entertained um i, I play handball Um, I'm a a past national champion here and a professional coach and I run the agency. And again, that's just something I loved at school and carried on doing. I still play at a high level and, of course, playing the bassoon, uh, which I enjoyed at school, went to academy and making things. And one interesting note on that is those three subjects, sport, craft, design, technology and music. I didn't do any of them academically at school. Um, but they were, they were my passions and I carried on with all of them. It seems I like to think myself as having been successfully (laughs) self-unemployed and that's, uh, (laughs) that's how things go.
1: I think that that's a common thing that a lot of people have who are successful at what they do. They, they really have a passion about it. Like you said, when you very first started making cases, I mean, it's unbelievable that you just made your own case you had solved your problem and you're like all right and then everybody else just kind of gravitated towards it because I want to have my problem solved also (laughs) and you know (laughs) I I can't believe that you had such a successful business going while you were a teenager in school I mean well yeah
0: yes I I was very lucky Uh, and and uh, it it did it did shape uh decisions for me because I, I was at the sort of school and from the sort of background where I'd always aimed, you know, to go to university. And I had a place at King's College London to go and study geography. But the music, playing music and making the cases had come to me quite, well, you could say playing bassoon came me quite late, making the cases came through quite young. But because by the time I did what we call in England, our A-levels before you leave at 18, um, I already had the business firmly established really. Um, I decided that I didn't want to go to university and do, you know, I'd done three essay writing subjects for A-level, geography, history, and English. Uh, frankly, I'd had enough. And I think that the, the idea of going to university was purely a, a, a backup, a safety net, if you like, for pursuing a career as a bassoonist by then. Right. And I thought, actually, I don't need it. I've already got the other case business. And uh, I knew that that would work hand in hand with being a, you know, a musician, a freelance musician. And when I left school and went to academy, um, I actually alleviated the pressure on me with the case business by employing my oldest brother, uh, Mm. who still works for me. Um, He'd been unemployed for a long time, I think eight years, and uh, I I gave him a job. It it was was the making of him. So it's been really good, actually, for my family as well. Most of my family have worked for me... um, in some form or the other, you know, it's been uh, you know a really lovely thing to to help other people out with. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the people that I employ, we now have about 15, you know, full time staff. And I've always made a policy of uh, trying to employ some youngsters that are local who may not be overly academically endowed, but, you know, want, want to work, want to work hard and they're struggling to get get their break. It doesn't always work um, probably for every four seventeen year olds you try they don't really quite have the work ethic developed but but okay. I've got some absolute gems here and my my head craftsman Joey uh joined me I think when he was sixteen and he's twenty six now and he's he's absolutely brilliant he's my head craftsman and you know he's my most valuable guy here so um that's been terrific as well getting you know local youngsters in and uh, giving them a real trade real skill
1: that's great so so when you started building cases i'm assuming you were building it out of wood or something like that when did you get into carbon fiber
0: yeah so that's a very good question i mean my very first cases actually were out of drain pipes um if you think of the pipes they put underground they're shatterproof um you know you can smash them with a sledgehammer they won't break um so i used to make them out of that there are some of the smaller cases that we make, which we still use, you know, that sort of construction, but I wanted to make something that was ever so lighter. Um, so I came up with this um, copy of it effectively made out of aircraft plywood, which is literally what they used to make aircraft out of. And it's uh, it's a very, very high grade uh, ply that comes from Finland. Uh, so you can laminate that up, you know, until you've got the strength you want and the shape you want. And, um, for years, I suppose the next 20 years, we, all the shells were, were made out of aircraft ply and to waterproof them, you were then covering them in leather. The, the plywood shells were extremely light um, and it was almost disappointing to cover them because you then made them heavier again. Um, which, by the way, is why this wooden French horn case, which is only available through shops, is so light because it is that construction, but without the leather cover. So we've, we've stained the wood, whichever colour you want, and it's yacht varnished. So it's totally weatherproof, neoprene seal. But in order to get something incredibly strong and incredibly light, which seemed to be the only uh, next big step forwards for our business, we looked at the carbon fibre. Now, there's a very, very fine flute maker called Ava Kingmer in Holland who largely specialises in the larger flutes, autos up to contrabasses and we'd been making cases for her for some years and we'd got the nightmare she had of selling her flutes in two metal big cases no one wanted to own one right. <laughs> or although they're, they're happy playing one they didn't want to have to shift the thing um, we were making these incredibly compact cases which you could take on as hand luggage you know, with all this kit in but of course it was heavy right. and Ava was using carbon fiber Uh, stands that she'd had made for holding the uh, contrabass flute you know when you're not not playing it and she'd been pushing me and pushing me to look at carbon fiber so uh, it took me four years to find someone that would work with me on it and these people are world-class they make luxury yachts formula Mm -hmm. one cars um, aerospace parts and they're the only people in the world. Well, we are now with them. The only people in the world using this highest level of carbon fibre, which is called autoclave. It goes through a, quite a process. It's vacuumed into a steel mould, whilst going into an oven, and it's cooked at ferocious temperatures for about you know 10 hours. Um, there are some genuine carbon cases around. A cord in um, Croatia make wonderful cello cases, um, and I know the owner actually. He he, uh, the original owner. Now make some cello cases with us, but that's the sort of carbon that you or I could buy and put together. It's a bit like fiberglass; you can just paint the the the, the resins and put it together. Right. Um, but the autoclave stuff is a totally different league. Uh, it's very expensive. The process of working with it is expensive, but the results are spectacular. They now make you know fighter jets uh, with this stuff. It's that strong, twenty times stronger than its own weight in steel. So. We tried this as a complete punt, really. It was a real gamble because the tooling for one of these cases is thousands of pounds. And we thought, right, we'd just try it with one case, our best selling case, the case where it will make the biggest difference. And that was actually our base clarinet case. We made a tiny little eight inch tube case. It's about three foot long. And we'd been making these out of wood and leather for years. We'd already sold, you know, uh, I think, a couple of thousand of these over the years. And um, you can fit your base clarinet in and three clarinets and walk onto an air, any air flight with this case. So we sell loads.
1: Right.
0: So we tried it, but bearing in mind that our cases, our wooden and leather cases, were more than double the cost of anybody else's, right. we were going to be doubling it again. Mm. So we thought we'd just try it with that one and see if anyone buys it. Well, it was an instant hit, and I would say that probably half the people who in the previous years had bought the leather and wooden ones sold those secondhand, interestingly, for the same money they had paid for it 10, 15 years prior, and used that to upgrade to the carbon. And that remains one of our best-selling cases. So what we decided to do then was offer the carbon but only go to the expense of making the moulds and making the next case if someone actually ordered it. And now the carbon cases probably are 90% of our business. So every 10 percent cases we sell, nine of them are now carbon fibre. And I think the point is that this was a really interesting thing, actually, that happened at an IHS, our first one. We turned up with, uh, we only had the opera case and we had it in carbon fibre, and we had it in the wood and leather construction, which at the time you know, was the alternative. Uh-huh. And uh, I think the wooden ones were $800, and I think the carbon ones were close to $2,000. So I thought, well, they both did the same thing, they're both the same size, and for that money, I think we'll sell loads of the wooden ones and maybe a couple of the carbon. Anyway, we sold 25 carbon and three wooden ones <laughs> in, in three days. And it was clear by the end of the first day the way this was going. And I started asking the people that were ordering, you know, why? You know, I said, I've shown you both cases are pretty much the same. They've both got a lifetime guarantee. They do the same job. Why are you spending so willingly more than double to get that one? And there were three main answers that came back. One was it only has to save one accident and it's paid for itself. The other was I'm getting through, I won't mention brands, but the other cases, at least one every three, the best five years. So they said, this is cheap because if this rests, yeah, does the last rest of my career, I will have saved a lot of money by the end of it. Yeah. Um, And the other one was, last case I'm ever going to need, I'm going to get the one I most desire. The three people that bought the leather ones. I actually felt that two of them had picked it over carbon because they liked the leather, if you see what I mean. It Uh, wasn't because of the price. Um, The students who bought, it was because of the price. Um, But there were two other really good professional players, you know, who wanted the leather anyway. But basically, yeah, I guess that was about 13 years ago that we did the first carbon ones. It was a gamble. Um, We are the only people in the world making any type of case uh, out of pure autoclave carbon. There are cases which have a a skim of it on top. There's a very nice guitar case, which is real autoclave carbon. But it weighs a ton. The reason why is it's actually on top of a fiberglass shell that's giving it it, its strength. So in other words, the carbon is just cosmetic. So uh, it's actually led now in 2020 to quite an interesting point in our business because we've been making some carbon fiber quintuplet, cabin-friendly trumpet cases in Boston Brass has got it. Yeah. And the, the, they're really beautiful, and they are basically, well, luggage cases, aren't they?
1: When I first saw his trumpet case, I was like, dude, I want that case just for my luggage, because then it would match my horn case, and yeah. I would never have to buy another luggage again.
0: And, and this this is what has happened, in that um, when those are lacquered, and let's say a red carbon or checkered you know racing car carbon they look amazing and you will all have heard of uh, harrods the famous shop in london right. yes. um i've i've been reliably uh, told by a specialist uh, you know luggage dealer who does most of the imports of the big brands in london that as a luggage case that would sell for 10,000 pounds the same case that we're selling to trumpeters yeah. for two and a half thousand because that's all the trumpeter is going to be able to justify right now as a result, we're hopefully around about February. We're going to be launching another business, which will probably be Wiseman of London, rather than Wiseman Cases or Wiseman London, and that will be specifically a luxury luggage range. And we will probably sell to one or two places like Harrods as well. But the fact is that all of this carbon work we do, we are subduing the prices so that it is, you know, uh, justifiable for musicians. Right. The same work we're doing would sell in almost any other market for four times the amount.
1: Oh, well, so, I'll you, sorry to interrupt, but, no, you know, I travel all the time. And when you get into airlines, I'm not sure if you're like this, but people get really nerdy about like their frequent flyer status. And so... I fly with a, a company called Delta in, in the US. And on Facebook, there is like a Delta Diamond member Facebook page where all the uppity people who travel all the time share their travel stuff and tips and everything. But a big thing is their luggage. And I'll tell you, people pay so much money for like those Toomey cases that are like fake carbon fiber. They pay more money for a fake carbon fiber to me case than we do for a real carbon fiber horn case. And I've never gotten onto a plane and sat down in first class where somebody didn't ask me what case that is. Right. And they don't know it's a, an instrument case. They just think it's like really cool luggage. Like, where, did you get right. where did you get that? And so you're exactly right. I mean, that's amazing that you're going to be going into that because the quality of product that you put out, I mean, I can see people paying a lot of money for that. So I just, yeah, I, I hope they
0: will, and they do. And and funny enough, going back to the French horn case, the, the wooden one, the actual one I just showed you actually on, on camera, um, I, I had it on my back and I, and I just got off the train at London Bridge in London. I was on the way to show Paxman horns. Anyway, knock, knock, knock. There was a, um, a knock on the back of my case. And I turned around and there was a guy dressed up as a ghoul because opposite, um, london bridge there's um a, a sort of horror museum oh. okay so he was out the front selling stuff uh pamphlets and trying to get people to go in. anyway he knocked on my case and i turned around and he said mate what's that case he said it i've never seen anything so beautiful and i said well uh, and i didn't want to tell him it was a french horn case i wanted to see his reaction if i told him it was just a general backpack for general use Right. Uh, so I did I said well you know, it's just a backpack I've got my office stuff in uh, you know what I'd have in my briefcase and um, you know some sports shoes and uh, and a change of clothes he said where'd you get it from and I said there's a company called Wiseman Cases he said how much is it I said 500 pounds he said oh I'm going to get one of those he said that's incredible and I didn't want to let on it was for a musical instrument and in fact it is this French horn size and one smaller one that will be the actual wooden version, uh, the sort of lower end of cost in our luxury luggage website as well. So we, we've already had orders for these just as backpacks. Uh, and in fact, we had, um, we had a clarinetist here to pick up a Contrabass clarinet case from us, a, a guy who plays in the Philharmonia in London. And uh, he saw these French horn cases up on the shelf and uh, he, he stopped s- still. He said, what are those? And so I told him, he said, I, I just want one. He said, I'm, I'm going to just use that every day when I'm travelling with the orchestra. I'm going to put my laptop in and my um, my concert clothes. So, you know, we don't want many of our cases to even necessarily be instantly recognisable for being anything in particular. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be going that route as well. And just going back to what brought that question up, which is the carbon fibre. Yeah, we're going to try and um, you know make sure we do get money off people who are in that sort of market, so we can keep the prices subdued for my real passion, which is the musicians. So um, that that's cool. that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna play it.
1: That's really really neat. Um, I noticed that not only do you make every kind of instrument case under the sun. I mean, uh, you go onto your website, you see guitar cases, sitar cases. You've got pipes, recorders. make them for tenor horns and i mean just everything uh but you also make other kind of products i see that you make horn bells uh clarinet bells yeah and even i saw that you're starting to make wallets which i'm once again i told you already i like accessories and stuff like that yeah and your carbon wallets look really neat
0: yeah i mean where this has come from uh, actually it's a funny story You, you know i mentioned um that I'm a, a handball professional yeah. over here. Um, I had two lads who I taught for seven years and uh, when they reached their last year at school, um, we were chatting uh, about uh, stuff when we were on the train journey going to a match. And they had no idea, because they only knew me as a handball coach, they had no idea that I had this business. So they got on their phones and they Googled Wiseman cases and they were ogling at it and they said, oh, what a lovely logo. Oh, it's incredible. And they said, um, Howard, if we win the Nationals this year, will you make us a wallet? And I said, well, yeah, okay," because I thought there's no chance they were going to (laughs) win. They had not been practising for starters. And um, anyway, they won the Nationals Uh, two months later. They worked hard and uh, they were they were super players and they won uh, the school's Nationals in England. And uh, the first thing they said to me as they walked off court. Is will you make that wallet for me? I thought they'd have other things on their mind at that moment, and they didn't so anyway, I listened as I would to any client. I listened to their brief and they um we sat down for about an hour and they said we want it as compact as possible, we wanted a little bit of you know uh, area to store coins and so on and so forth. So I took the brief and i I made these these wallets for them and The the leather that we've made it out of is called carbon leather. It's very, very expensive, high-grade leather, and it's impregnated with a sort of carbon pattern. And we've been using it for years with our carbon cases. Um, It it, it actually wears... uh, It's got a sort of five times longer resistance to wear and tear than any other normal leather so it's a fantastic thing and it just occurred to me we're going into this luxury luggage why don't we also just make some beautiful uh leather only based around the carbon leather so that suits and fits you know with the business that we've created um a range of products with that leather so we've started with the leather wallet which we're absolutely thrilled with It, it is beautiful and um we've had some people testing it for over a year and it looks like it's you know a day old still yeah. after you know daily constant use and um we're going to be doing all sorts of things through to wash bags backpacks yeah. um the whole range of accessories uh overnight uh, bags which will be made purely from that that leather um and very much of their own sort of designs and that will be the sort of again, uh, accessory end of our luxury luggage uh, business. Um, But what I want to do is have a crossover so that everyone that already uses Wiseman cases will have access to all of that, but actually far cheaper than it will be on our luxury luggage site so that that's what we're intending to do we already have an audience we've already got loads of people wanting these things uh you know a a wallet that matches the fact they've got a carbon fiber bassoon case or whatever exactly it's just it's just wonderful i
1: think people they start to gain a a certain pride in what they've invested in especially musicians you know musicians their instruments are very near and dear to their heart and the stuff that they buy for their instruments are very near and dear to their heart so if, if you've got a Wiseman case and you've invested you know two grand into it if you can get a wallet with the same logo that is like really tip yes. too and not only that but what I really enjoy about your wallet I am going to order one by the way is that uh It still looks like a proper wallet. All the other carbon fiber wallets that I've seen uh, are that kind of mechanical, like just two carbon fiber boards next to each other. But this is still like a proper wallet with the beautiful Wiseman logo on it. And I mean, it's really, really cool looking. And it goes with what you are which is you're a musician and I really think it's cool that you are going into this luxury brand which I'm I have no doubts is gonna in 10 years you'll be seeing it like Louis Vuitton or, or something like that but you still hold your musicians dear to your heart and and it's really cool that that you're talking about making that accessible most uh horn players even if they're in a top job are not going to be buying a ten thousand dollar uh suitcase
0: and actually it's 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 been quite a difficult decision as to how to go forward with uh the two businesses because on the one hand i'd love to just stay as wiseman london which is what we rebranded as you know a few years ago and to add um categories so you'd have your musical instrument cases you'd have luxury luggage weaponry cases um, trophy cases uh, snooker cue cases all the things we're going to be doing but the, the, the problem is that many of the cases that will be in the luxury luggage are almost identical to the same cases we're using for the musician and there's a real problem there um, I mean our contra bassoon case uh, actually our contraforte case is going to be a very very expensive uh, long-wheeled luggage case which will be ideal for skis or fencing mm-hmm. um, you know, swords, all those things, um, but they could buy it for a third of the price or, or even a quarter of the price if they just buy it as a contrabassoon case and so I can't have them linked up right. so whilst uh, I'm extremely happy, uh, I mean really willing, wanting to make those things the same price and the luxury stuff to a degree to the musicians and right. um, uh, i i will only be pointing the traffic in that that direction i won't be <laughs> won't be getting the luxury clients to be looking at my my uh you know case website so that is how i think i can separate it out and be faithful to you know what i am and how it's uh, evolved and uh all the musicians that you know we've already worked with so so that's the aim um
1: Well, I mean, you look at car companies where you've got Toyota that owns Lexus and stuff, you know what I mean? And they use the same chassis here and they and that kind of stuff. And so I mean, I can see a a premium luxury brand where it might be based off of the same thing or the same look, but it's it's got a different name and it's got the premium thing. And people with money are willing to pay the premium price for the premium product. So
0: we've just had the most amazing bit of luck actually which is going to help us with all this I had a a bizarre phone call about a month ago um, from um, Mm Rolls-Royce who everyone's heard of Mm -hmm. and basically cut a long story short uh, Wiseman Cases we've been invited by the Rolls-Royce and Bentley Club who are the lifestyle uh, section of Rolls-Royce Rolls-Royce owned Bentley or round the other way but next year is the I think it's the 100th birthday, is it, of, or 95th of Prince Philip and the 90th birthday of the Queen, something like that. And to, they've got a strong association with the royal family, uh, Rolls-Royce and Bentley. Uh-huh. And they're bringing out a, a really plush production, a book, that is to celebrate the pursuit of excellence. So it's largely about Rolls-Royce and Bentley inviting in businesses from around the world who they have selected because they represent their own goals and, and ideals. And we've we've been selected. Wow. So we're going to be in this incredible publication, um, which obviously, by definition, goes out to their very high net worth, you know, 100,000 people that are members of this club. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be a big do in London, all this sort of stuff. So it, it was uncanny timing. And although we've been selected because of our you know prowess with the cases we're making for musicians that it just so happens to be the perfect place to actually um highlight the cases which we're going to be using for the luxury you know luggage world yeah. so you know that's it's giving us the most amazing platform which uh, you know happens you know fairly soon um so that's that's amazing
1: uh, it just makes me happy to see somebody who you're not putting out something where you're trying to do it the cheapest way possible and undercutting stuff here and there or trying to deliver something, oh, we'll get it to you the next day and then tossing it together and then it falls apart. It's like if you order a Wiseman case, you know you're gonna pay a premium and you know that you're gonna wait a little while. But the bottom line is you're gonna get a product that is gonna last forever. It's gonna look great and it's gonna be done right the first time. And you won't ever have to worry about it, you know, and you can, like I said before, just have some pride in in the fact that, I I don't know, it's always been crazy to me, the people who will go super cheap on a case, yet they'll spend tens of thousands of dollars on their instrument. (laughs) You realize you only have to pay for this case one time if you do it right. So anyway, that's a total attestment to your craft that you've been Honored with something of that magnitude, and they see the workmanship. And I mean, I, I think everybody should take a look at that and go. You know what? Maybe if you've been thinking about maybe getting a Wiseman case, or you've been seeing them and, and admiring them, or, or something like that. But uh, it's a little bit pricey. It's like just do it. You'll do it one time and be happy with what you have. You know.
0: Well, that's that's very kind of you to say that. I mean, one of the comments that I've remembered. Uh, for a very long time, actually. Um, a chap came up to me, it, it, I think it was a double-read show, um, and uh, he didn't spend long at my booth, but he said, I just wanted to stop by and thank you for making uh, wind sections uh, look stylish. And, um, he, and he sort of just wandered off. Uh, but I, I, I'd never viewed it that way. But he was right, because by then, you know, we were doing... Pretty much everything in the woodwind section, at least. Um, I think brass was just coming along. But um, I'd never viewed it that way, you know. Um, But I've always remembered that, and I've always felt that was one of the best compliments I've ever had, in a way. Uh, It was was nice. I don't know who the guy was. Uh, If he's listening, I'm very grateful. Um, One uh, quick story uh, about uh, justifying a, a nice case I had a really surprising and in enlightening conversation with a violinist recently who um is in the London Philharmonic, so very good player. And he's actually an ex-handball student of mine. And I'd I'd let him uh get hold of one of my violin cases um very cheaply, a lovely carbon fiber case. And um We've been doing violin and viola cases for a long time, very high-end. In fact, we made um, the case for the $16 million most expensive uh, violin that's ever been sold. Um wasn't even a Stradivarius, actually. It was a Guarneri. Mm. And um, we've done a lot of this work. But with COVID and everything, I was getting interested in a bit of marketing, which i have never, never done before. So I phoned Stephen up, and I said, Stephen, you've had that violin case for, I think, t- two or three years. And I said... Um, how's it gone down in the orchestra? Because I've, I've not had any orders come in with people sort of mentioning you. And, you know, it was absolutely frightening what he said. He said, oh, Howard, he said, everyone still ogles at your case. He said, but they'll never buy one. And I said, why is that? He said, they're just cheapskates, the whole lot of them. He said, <laughs> uh, these are violinists who have got instruments that are worth worth so much money, you know. He said the cheapest instrument in the orchestra is probably 30 grand. He said most of them are over a hundred thousand, and the bows are 15 000 to 20 thousand. You know, they've got three or four of them in the case.
1: Right.
0: And he said they are all just buying cheap cases from China uh, off the internet with the view that it'll fall apart in a couple of years. I'll buy another. And he said it's absolute nonsense. And he said the bizarre thing is that the entire woodwind section have got your cases and their instruments are worth, you know, in more in the sort of 10,000. He said, is there something more obvious about the advantage to a wind player than a violinist? And I said, well, not really. I said, I suppose to be fair, a wind player, if a key is bent, you know it because the instrument doesn't work. And I said, I suppose to be fair, the violinist doesn't know there's something wrong until the bow snapped or the neck's broken off. But this is the whole point. Their only interest is a bit like having your house burgled and then you get the, you know, the grills up and the burger alarm in. Yeah. Why would you wait until you've had your violins smashed up in an accident before you then think, oh, crikey, I better get a good case for it? And that, certainly in England, is the mindset, it would seem, amongst violinists, yeah. I learned the other day that cellists, on the other hand, take things far more seriously because, of course, they've got the physical problem of how heavy and bulky it is. Yeah. But, no, Violinists are very cavalier about it. And the London Symphony Orchestra quite famously bought a very valuable instrument about seven or eight years ago, um, gave it to the player in the orchestra who was going to use it. He put it in a cheap case. Within a week, it was so badly damaged that it lost a great deal of its value when it was you know, re- repaired. So it, it, is, it is bonkers because um, there are instruments that are worth a fortune right. and um, yeah, relative and uh, people don't, don't see it that way.
1: Um, yeah. So
0: I, I'm, I'm working on educating them. Let's put it that way. But uh, they're the people that should re- definitely be investing as well on you know, looking after their instruments.
1: Yeah, that, that part makes no sense to me. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. But, yeah,
0: no, it's, it's very strange.
1: All right. I, I usually do this at the beginning because I say, "Well, welcome to Music on the Rocks with Chris Castellanos." But we didn't get there because we just kind of started, you know, which is great. in, didn't
0: we? That's yeah. right.
1: Yeah. So my podcast is called Music on the Rocks. And it's called that because one of my favorite parts of being a musician besides playing the music is that after the concert, you get to go to the, you know, the bar or the pub and you get to yeah. with your friends and over a drink and just, and talk. And so this is that part for me, especially now when nothing is really happening. It's like, at least I get to talk to people and, and hang out as if we were at the bar. So I was wondering, do you uh, have a drink of choice? Um.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, I like wine, but I tend to only go for um, the drink I drink most is water, believe it or not. I, and I know this sounds funny, but I actually love tap water. Yeah, I, I love London tap water. Uh, don't know about where, where, where you are, but in different regions of England, uh, you get hard water, soft water, all to do, of course, with the rock that it's perforated through, um, percolated through. But I, I actually genuinely love water, it is a go to drink. For the sake of having a drink, for me, um, I will have wine with a meal. Um, I like cider, um, but it it, uh, it it stops me thinking clearly rather quickly. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not really a beer or lager person. I can drink it, but uh, I don't think it's worth the calories. I, I I I would rather use up the calories on chocolate, which is perhaps my main Achilles' heel. Okay, um, and I've never I've never even tried tea or coffee. Which people think is very strange, yeah. I don't like the flavour of coffee in chocolate, so why would I like it as a drink? And I'm actually, I'm quite an impatient person. I don't like waiting very much for anything. And the problem is, with hot drinks, uh, I I would burn my mouth. I wouldn't be patient. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit like that with hot food, actually. I dive in like a beagle and uh, (laughs) burn my tongue on the first... uh, mouthful now i don't taste the rest of it so um and, and i view tea and coffee as a bit of a waste of time because it doesn't come straight out of a tap and i'm, I'm too busy to uh tap around with that sort of
1: okay thing. i'm with you on the coffee i i've actually i am not a coffee person either i've never really tried it because i smell it and it just doesn't smell like something i want to drink you know but um my wife would get along with you famously on the drinks because she is A water person and she can taste the difference. She can tell me like the brand of a water by drinking it. I'm like, you can really, (laughs) I water tastes like water to me. So
0: yeah, I like it out of a tap. I'm no connoisseur of the, uh, you know, the bottled water stuff. One quick, funny drink story for me. I was in a pub with some friends and do you have a drink over there called Lucozade?
1: Not that I know of. I mean, we probably do have one, but
0: Lucozade is an energy sports drink. Uh, one of those typically very uh, sugary, bubbly drinks. Okay. So I'm sure you've got millions of them, different brands. You know, yeah. I was in a pub and I saw that they had bottles of LeukaZade in the fridge behind the bar. Uh-huh. And I, I fancied one, you know, I fancied a, a boost of sugar and energy. So I ordered LeukaZade. I was the laughing stock of the whole group. <laughs> and do you know what? An hour later, everyone was drinking LeukaZade. So uh, I had the last laugh.
1: <laughs> we go trendsetter again, once again.
0: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it was in a pub why not drink it trendsetter uh, you know when you looked at my um list of cases that we make yeah did you see something very unusual at the beginning the footballs and the baseballs
1: yes i saw that like the the um it looked like a basketball or, or a, a soccer ball or football like that's that. right yes. soccer
0: ball and a baseball can i quickly tell you about that
1: yes please yeah i'm curious
0: because uh, because you've credited me with you know doing different things than just the cases I was at a trade show, a big one in England where most of the shops buy their their stuff for anything you know huge halls of uh, of different products and I was there actually selling vintage sports equipment, which was a sort of sideline little business that i've i've got okay and um it occurred to me standing there talking to people about you know putting best dad on a vintage looking football or you know um the name of their school or whatever it was, it seemed to me you could put a name or some print on almost any type of ball and make it relevant to a different audience, you right. know, just as you might shove your name on a mug, uh, you know, or put Mozart on a cup and sell it in the music store. Right. And given that I've got a sporty background and part of my living coaching sport, I suddenly got a bit annoyed that there's absolutely nothing sporty that I've ever seen anywhere, in any music shop in the world. Nothing. I can't think of anything sporty. So I thought, well, why don't we have a football <laughs> or a baseball signed by very famous composers? I then came up with this little dream. Um, Funny enough, I've got it written out here. Um, I'll, I'll read it to you. This is what goes with the ball. Decomposed United, sports baseball composers only retire when they die. Vivaldi retired in 1750 and found that he had time to pursue new ventures. In life, Vivaldi had always noted the importance of rhythm and movement in sport, and he decided that musicians should therefore excel in the sporting arena. Only a week after his death, Vivaldi founded Decomposed United, And over the years to come, recruited many great composers to join his team as they became available. (laughs) Vivaldi's theory proved to be correct. Decomposed United went on to dominate the afterlife premiership in multiple sports. So it's just a bit of a joke. But why couldn't you have a football signed by Mozart and Verdi and Gershwin and all these guys? And I've got a son who's a prolific sportsman and musician at his school and he's often moaned that they're very separate groups often at a school you've got your musicians and you've got the right. sportsman right. and you know he's he's a he's a scholar on both and he loves both in equal measure and that was at the back of my mind when I was at this trade fair thinking well there's nothing in any music shop for a sportsman and would it make it just that little bit more, if not, not cool is the wrong word, but more acceptable? You know, would little Jimmy, who plays the violin and loves football, would he feel a bit better about himself, knowing that there's some sort of link? Do you know what I mean? Because there is this divide, and all those balls are meant to be is a bit of fun, and it's the sort of thing, you know, you or I might buy for $20 for a guy that used to play trumpet at school, and we know he likes baseball. You know, it's a bit of fun. It's that sort of giveaway gift. Yeah. But I've shown it to a lot of shops actually. Um, I haven't really got round to marketing it, but they all said it's they said, Well, it, it in one way it's genius. They said, Well, either sell hundreds or or none. <laughs> so we, we haven't tried it yet, but um, you know, uh I just I did it because I just wanted to tie those two things together a little bit, you know. Um if you're going to have a cup with Mozart on it, why not have a football?
1: Oh, I love that. It decomposed.
0: <laughs> yeah. I spent ages thinking of the best title of the team, but uh, yeah, that, that that was my version and it was founded in 1750 because that's when Vivaldi died and apologies oh. if I'm wrong, but I, that's how I seem to remember it anyway.
1: Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, I, I asked this of all my guests, um, although you're a little bit unique because you do so many things really well uh, that are, separate from each other like you said you're your handball champion and and but you're also a world famous case maker and a great bassoonist but uh i like to ask my guests what is it that you would be doing if you had to go into a completely different business that was maybe a hobby what, what would that be
0: okay so the first thing to say is in real life if i do retire which i probably won't in fact, I'll probably go into a coffin that I made myself, probably a tapered, tubular one. I'd probably be doing the same thing I'm doing now. So that's where I know I'm lucky. Yes. Okay? yes. If I had to do something totally different, uh, I think I'd probably want to be an architect. Um, that's very similar, however, to what, how my brain works at the moment, designing and making things, I suppose. So if I pick something a bit wacky and completely different, I'll tell you what my first business idea was and this was before you know you sort of know what you're ever going to do but I had a wacky idea as I suppose a 14 year old that I would open a shop um that sells living fish so an aquarist I guess you'd call it uh Uh, but but I would specialize in cold water fish that are not the uh sort of fish that you would ever find in an aquarist you know if you go into an aquarist they're all they're all very uh, pretty. They're all very bright-coloured and tropical, and all their goldfish. Um, I've lifelong, I've had a, a, an absolute passion for cold-water fish. Uh, I think they are the most beautiful things to look at. Trout, um, carp, uh, not koi carp. I've, personally, it's only taste. I find them vulgar. Um, but the real, real carp, I think, are, are, are you know, beautiful. Um, chub minnows even just native british fish i think are beautiful um i used to go fishing a lot and you know whilst i didn't like putting them out the water i always put them straight back Uh, the thrill for me was seeing these fish uh in a way you can never see them in water they're camouflaged you don't see them you know there's a most beautiful uh fish called a barbel ground-feeding fish You'd never see one in your life, and they're, they're part of the carp family. So I had this wacky idea that I'd specialize in these fish that no one else sells. You know, they're just in your rivers and your lakes, and no one ever sees them. But right. they are beautiful. So that, maybe that's what I'd be then. If I did something totally different, I'd become a specialist acrois.
1: Wow, that is the most interesting answer that I've had so far.
0: <laughs> that's yes, really cool. it's not normal, is
1: it? <laughs> not normal, no, man. But that's really cool. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me.
0: Absolute pleasure.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you're a super interesting guy who's just got a one of those minds that you strike me as somebody who, who thinks of something and you just do it. You don't like think of something and then it goes on the back burner. And then 10 years later, you're like, oh, yeah, that was that would have been cool if I did that you know, so uh, the world needs people like you.
0: I find it too frustrating to work for anybody else for exactly that reason. I, I do. I like to just get things done. And uh, yeah, I, I've never really uh, liked being held back, which is what I think you would be if you were an employee.
1: Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate this. And it's no, been- my
0: pleasure. Well, all the best to you and everyone listening. I hope we all get through the COVID crisis well and that you're playing Floods Back soon. Uh, I do really feel for all musicians at the moment. So um, good luck uh, and keep playing.
1: All right. I'll catch you later, man.
0: Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.